Now, I'm just going to, to read for us, and we're going to spend just a few minutes um, thinking about a little part of the Bible together um, as the children are downstairs um, getting changed. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 9. And if you've got a Bible with you, um, it'd be great to have that open in front of you. If you don't, that's absolutely fine. The words will appear on the screen behind me as I read as well. I'm reading from, from Hebrews chapter 9, and I'll read just verses 1 to 15. And we'll spend a few minutes thinking about those together. Hebrews chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared in the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of the Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Amen. Let me pray very briefly, and we'll think about those words just for a few minutes together. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so very much for the life and energy and excitement and fun of the children who've been um, acting out the nativity this morning and the gift that they are to us. And we thank you for your gift to us of your words that you've spoken to us clearly in the scriptures. And we pray, Lord, as we spend a few minutes just thinking about this part of the scriptures together, you would please be at work showing us what we perhaps can't see and what we couldn't see by ourselves, and bringing us into a greater realization of quite what happened at Christmas time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the young folks have gone downstairs for a game, and I thought we might have a very brief game up here for what I'll 
diplomatically called the not-so-young folks. That's what we are. Um, So I'm going to describe a couple of Christmas movies, and I want you to shout out. You are free again to shout out, to shout out what film I'm describing, okay? The first film, Boy Left in House, Family... Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Not even through it. What have you been doing all your December, just watching films? Home Alone was the answer to that one. Well done. Um, Second film, I'm going to even shorten the description I was going to give you to Grumpy Old Man. Christmas Carol, well done. And depending on how highbrow or lowbrow you are, you're either thinking of the Charles Dickens novel or the Muppets movie. I'm thinking of the Muppets movie myself, which tells you all you need to know about me. Now, it didn't take you long to guess either one, did it? Um, They're both very familiar stories, I guess, to many of us, Home Alone and Christmas Carol. And the films are fun to watch at this time of year. But I wonder if you've ever noticed that behind the, the, the funny pranks and the catchy songs... There are actually quite serious stories bubbling away in the background of both of them. Think of Home Alone, for example. On the face of it, it's a story about a boy who's been left at home on his own, funnily enough, at Christmas time, and about the pranks and the japes that he gets up to. But behind all of that fun and mischief, there is a deeper-rooted problem. The boy's relationship with his family is strained, And in fact, his relationship with his mother looks like it's hanging by a thread. Or the second example of A Christmas Carol. Again, the story seems to be about an old man refusing to get involved in the fun and games of Christmas time. But behind that refusal, well, his relationships with with pretty much everyone are absolutely toxic. And so what drives the story in both of those films, what actually makes both of them quite heartwarming at the end, isn't the mischief and the fun at all. It's estrangement or broken relationships and the tension around whether those broken relationships will ever, can ever, be mended. Now, you need to be careful not to analyse Christmas movies too closely, otherwise you start to see that they are all basically the same film. But the reason I'm mentioning that this morning is that that kind of tension, tension around a broken relationship and the question of whether it can ever really be mended is not only a compelling one, it's one that is right at the heart of the Christmas story. See, one of the big threads that runs through the whole Bible is the problem of a broken relationship, not between a mother and a son, but between God and his people. The world God created, we're told, was fundamentally good. The Garden of Eden was a place of relationship between God and his people. God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, we're told. But those people rejected God, chose to ignore him, to go their own way. And that caused a fracture In that relationship, Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, were sent away from God. And so the question that's left hanging all through the Bible is similar to the one that hangs over Christmas Carol and Home Alone, only on a much, much grander scale. How can that broken relationship, the relationship between humanity and our creator, how can it possibly be mended? And in fact, that question isn't just one that hangs over humanity as a whole. 
It's one that hangs hangs over each one of us. Adam and Eve aren't the only ones to have rejected God and gone their own way. The Bible tells us that all of us have. And so you see, this question isn't just a driver of compelling Christmas movies. It's a question that hangs over each one of us. How on earth can my broken relationship with God, the perfect, good and right God, how can that broken relationship possibly be mended? And that's the question that our passage this morning answers. We're going to spend just 10 minutes thinking about that before we sing again. Let's think about it under a first heading. Next slide, please, Jonathan. Super, thank you very much. A good but incomplete answer to our relationship problem, verses 1 to 10. Now, if you've ever seen the film uh, version of A Christmas Carol, you'll know that one of the big puzzles in the story is that Scrooge, the main character, he doesn't actually think he's doing anything wrong. He thinks he's behaving quite reasonably. And so a fair chunk of the story is given over to various attempts to convince him that he has a relationship problem by ghosts of Christmas past and present and future. And it is just possible that as I've been speaking to you, even over the past couple of minutes, well, you've been thinking a similar thing. The idea that your relationship with God is broken, well, that might come as a a bit of a surprise to some of us. You might need some convincing. And that's one of the big objectives of the first 10 verses of the passage we just read, Hebrews chapter 9, to convince us that we really do have a problem in how we relate to God. See, there were a number of anticipations of how this question might be answered throughout the Bible. And one of those anticipations is described for us in Hebrews chapter 9. We're told about something called the tabernacle. Now, if you've never heard of the tabernacle before, that's totally fine. We're actually told what it was in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 9. It was a tent, a great big tent that God told his people to make. And he didn't tell them to make it so they had somewhere to shelter from the elements. He told them to make it because it would be a place where he would come and live among them. And from what I've already told you, that in itself is an extraordinary thing. That despite our relationship breakdown with God as humanity, he would still want to come and live among his people. That's an amazing thing. But as you might have gathered from the reading, well, it wasn't entirely straightforward. Because the breakdown hadn't fully been mended. And in fact, people still kept rejecting God day by day, kept sinning against him. And so even in this whole tent idea, God baked a way in for that sin to be addressed, to be made right. We're told that the tent, the tabernacle, had two rooms. There was a first room or section in verse 2. And then there was a second section, a second room, verse 3. It was called the most holy place and it was called the most holy place because that second room was where God the perfect and good and right God was now only a high priest was allowed to go in there he went in once a year to try and repair the damage in people's relationship with God and he did that by making an offering Not a peace offering like a bunch of flowers or a box of chocolates. But verse 7, 
a blood offering, the blood of a bull or a goat. Now that might sound a bit primitive, perhaps even a bit barbaric to some of us, the kind of thing that you know ancient and superstitious people used to do, but it's completely out of touch with the modern world today. But I suspect that part of the reason for us thinking of it like that is we don't fully appreciate quite how damaged this relationship actually was and is. Because you see, the point of a blood offering was that our relationship of God is so broken, our rejection of him so serious, that it demands a life. By rights, it demands our life, actually. But God made provision that another could be swapped in instead. Now, if Hebrews 9 and its various rooms and priests and offerings all sounded quite complicated and difficult, as I read it out a few minutes ago, that's partly because it was. And actually, that was kind of the point. Actually, just notice that with me. The author tells us as much. If you have a Bible, verse 8, the author says this. He says, by this, by which he means the offering, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened. That whole tent idea, that whole offering process was meant to highlight our need for something more. To show us that the barrier between us and God is so vast, our relationship is still on the rocks. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, some of us might need to be convinced that our relationship with God is is broken at all. But others might have no problem in believing that there's a gap between us and God, just from our own lives, from the regrets of our own experience. We know fine well that there's been some kind of irreparable relationship breakdown between us and God, except perhaps we have a difficulty believing that it's irreparable. Maybe we think we've an answer to the problem ourselves. And again, Christmas Carol is a good illustration of that. If you don't know the story of Christmas Carol, then I'm very sorry for all of the spoilers this morning, um, though there has, it has been out for over 100 years, so you've, you've had time <laughs> to read it. The story reaches a bit of a climax as this old miser Scrooge realizes that his behavior has been awful. And he realizes even more, if he doesn't do something about it, he's in big, big trouble. And so in the story, the solution that Scrooge is given to this relationship problem to fix those broken relationships is to honor Christmas and to keep it all the year. By which I don't think he means that he'll be eating mince pies in July, but that he'll try his best to love his neighbor, to show goodwill to all people. That will fix the problem. And that might be exactly how we try and solve our relationship problem with God. Try and resolve to be better neighbors, better bosses, better family members, better friends. Because if we can do that, well, then we'll start to just clear the slate with God by ourselves. But you see, Hebrews 9, the point of this passage is to show us that that just isn't good enough. We can't undo the damage or or, or make ourselves clean enough to come before a perfectly clean and right God. We can't fix our broken relationship with with him by ourselves. Not even a high priest could do that. Not really. No, we need a better answer. Now, through the Old Testament, there were various other anticipations of what that answer might be 
how this relationship might be fixed. But none were ever quite good enough until Christmas. And that's our second point this morning. The once and for all answer to our relationship problem, verses 11 to 15. Now, the question that we've been thinking about as a church family over the past few weeks during Advent has been, why Christmas? Why did Jesus come? And you might be wondering what any of this has to do with Christmas, how this addresses that question at all. It doesn't seem very festive so far. There's a great big tent. There are offerings and high priests. It doesn't sound very Christmassy. Well, you see, the answer to the relationship problem we've been thinking about this morning arrives like a freight train in verse 11 and following. Just read the first four words of verse 11 with me. Let me read them out. But when Christ appeared. The arrival of Jesus, the birth of the Son of God, was a game changer. Now, the author spends most of the rest of the chapter explaining exactly how it was a game changer, but he summarizes all of that a few verses later in verse 26. Let me just read that verse for you. Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Why Christmas? Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came to put away sin, says the author. To deal with the fracture in our relationship with God. To make it right again. And he did that, notice, with sacrifice. Not with blood from a bull or from a goat. But from himself. The blood he had taken up. By being born as a human. Now if you still aren't convinced that any of that is very Christmassy. Well it is right at the heart of what we've been thinking about in the nativity. Just remember the scene with poor Joseph fretting over what to do about Mary being pregnant. Can you remember what the angel told him? That's a quote from Matthew chapter 1. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. She'll give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because... He will save his people from their sins. See, right at the heart of the Christmas story is the solution, the answer to our relationship problem with God. Because that solution came, verse 11, when Christ appeared. Now, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, I wonder what you make of all of that, even of the idea that your relationship with God might be broken and that Jesus has come to fix it. You might be a little bit like Scrooge, not, not, you don't like celebrating Christmas, but you're yet to really see the problem. Because your relationship with God, if, if there even is a God, looks just fine as far as you're concerned. Of course, you aren't perfect, but you aren't half as bad as some of the other people you know. Or perhaps you can see that there's a problem between you and God, only, well, it feels like you've got it covered yourself. You just need to work a bit harder at keeping Christmas all the year round. Then you'll have it sorted. Well, you see, God begs to differ. Our relationship with him is in real trouble. Terminal trouble. And even the tabernacle, that anticipated solution, shows us that we were unable to fix it on our own. 
And that's why, you see, those words are absolute dynamite. When Christ appeared, the arrival of God's Savior, Jesus Christ, in flesh and blood is just wonderful news. Because he came to put sin away, to mend that broken relationship with God by dying for us. Now, don't just take my word for that. I'd really encourage you to take seriously the claims of the Christian faith for yourself. You can do that by reading one of the accounts of Jesus' life. There are copies of those in the foyer. And please do take one of those away with you when you leave this morning. Or maybe you'd like to come along to the course we're going to be running in the new year. It's called Hope Explored. Will you have the chance to think about all of that in a bit more detail? We would absolutely love it. And I really mean that if you came along to that course in January. Hope Explored. But perhaps you are a Christian this morning. You're wondering what to do with any of that. Well, you might remember that if you've been over the past couple of Sundays, that one of the the big objectives of this whole letter of Hebrews is to keep Christians going. To stop them from drifting away from the Christian faith and encourage them just to keep walking as Christians. And I wonder if you can see how Hebrews 9 helps us to do that. Reminding us of the insurmountable barrier that existed between us and the creator God. That no deed we could do, no offering we could make, no matter how well we kept Christmas all the year round, we couldn't deal with. But when Jesus appeared, he appeared to put sin away. So that that broken relationship could be, has been, if you're a Christian, mended. You can know God, the God who made you and loves you. You can know him now, and one day you will see him face to face, more clearly than you can see me just now. So if you do nothing else this morning, nothing else this Christmas time, then consider this Jesus. He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let's thank him and praise him for his kindness to such as you and me. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Our God and Father, we come before you and acknowledge that each one of us have rejected you. And as a result, our relationship with you is broken. We are owed nothing but your rejection in return. But instead, you sent Jesus. Born that first Christmas time. Who lived a perfect life. And who died a death in our place. So that we can be rescued. And welcomed into good and right and eternal relationship with you. We praise you for your kindness and ask that each of us would have real confidence and real joy because of that kindness. And that we would know that one day we will live with you face to face for all eternity. We ask all of these things for our joy and for your glory. And we do so in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.